0: copy of the scriptures, please turn with me uh, to Ephesians chapter 3. Two weeks ago we looked at verses 1 to 13 in Ephesians 3, and verse 1 of chapter 3 starts with, for this reason... But before Paul kind of continues that thought, he kind of gets distracted. And so we looked a couple weeks ago at the rest of this summary of the gospel that is verses 1 to 13 in uh, chapter 3. Verse 14, Paul picks up with, for this reason, he kind of goes back to his original thought. So he's picking up on the, the flow that he had all the way up through ch- the end of chapter 2, and this is where he was going, Uh, So this is Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. This is God's word for us, his people, this morning. Listen to this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray and ask for his help to understand it. Father, we thank you uh, that you haven't left us on our own to figure out what we should believe or how we should live, but you've given us your word. Uh, Lord, we pray this morning that you would send your spirit to us. Open our minds and our eyes and our ears and our hearts. Uh, Lord, speak words of truth to us. Show us Christ. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Nine years ago, I was almost a statistic. Two-thirds of everybody that graduates from seminary and enters pastoral ministry, two-thirds of those individuals are not in full-time ministry after five years. That's the current statistic. So nine years ago, I had been a pastor for a little over four years, and I was done. Uh, My first call out of seminary was, was difficult. Uh, There were people at this church that I loved, but the church had been plagued by conflict after conflict after conflict. Uh, I had watched sin tear families apart. I watched sin tear the church apart as hundreds of people left this church that I loved. I saw slander. I saw people writing anonymous letters and emails about pastors and elders and staff. It was... Horrific. I saw the senior pastor there suffer a nervous breakdown in front of me uh, because he just couldn't handle it anymore. It was awful. It was terrible. And I was four years in, and I was like, if this is what I've signed up for, I don't really think this is what I want to do. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, or you've been part of the church. For any length of time, and I don't mean this church, I mean the church broadly, but if you have been a Christian, you have probably been wounded by other Christians. You have probably been hurt by other people in the church. A few examples from my own life that I offer as illustrations, not as reasons for you to feel sorry for me. Uh, But these are just illustrations. You've maybe seen conflict in the church. You've seen people who claim to be concerned with the glory of God and and the goodness of God to us in Christ suddenly seem like they care only about power and control. Maybe you've seen that in the church. Maybe you've been hurt by churches that have sort of abusive teaching and seek to manipulate you through things like guilt and fear and shame And they always made you feel bad about yourself as almost a way of maintaining control. Maybe you've just been hurt by the thoughtless words of other Christians. A a Christian sister told Jen and I one time after we had suffered a miscarriage uh, that uh, maybe it was God's grace to us that we suffered this miscarriage because we seemed pretty overwhelmed with the three kids we already had. It's like, do you hear yourself? Thoughtless, painful, harmful words. Friends, our life together in the church can be difficult. And what Paul has been saying up till now in the book of Ephesians is that this is expected, It is expected that life in the church can be difficult. And so when Paul starts this section by saying, for this reason, he is calling to mind all of what he has told us so far. In chapter 2 especially, Paul reminds us that one of the things Christ has done on the cross is he has torn down the dividing wall of hostility between different kinds of people, between Jews and Gentiles. And so the church is a diverse group of sinners. It is a group of sinners from different backgrounds and different cultures and different economic classes. And there is diversity in the church, which means there will be conflict. In addition to that, people are selfish. People are self-centered and we are prone to hurt one another. Life in the church can be difficult. And it can be tempting for us to think that what the church really needs is just kind of more people like me. Like if the church was just made up of more people like, like me who kind of get it, uh, or if we just had sort of better people, that would be much better. There was actually a church planting strategy in the 80s and 90s that built on this idea that like the diversity of the church was something that we needed to avoid so that we could have thriving churches planted quickly. It was called the homogeneous unit principle. And the idea was find the group of people who are most similar to one another and figure out how to reach them and that could be your church. We were trying to avoid diversity just to get churches... Going, The Apostle Paul, I think, would have some strong words for that considering Jesus has torn down the dividing walls of hostility. But not only do we think we just need like better people, sometimes we think what we really need as a church is like if we just had stronger vision or stronger mission, that would erase the difficulties of life in the church, or if we just had more compelling preaching or a better pastor or better structures, more professional music and programs, it's tempting to think all of these things are the chief need of the church. But what do we actually need? Or to ask that another way, how can a diverse group of sinners not only learn to get along in the church, but actually become what Paul says in verse 15, a family? How can a diverse group of sinners become a family? And the short answer is, we can't. We can't do it. We lack the resources on our own to be the kind of family that Paul is describing throughout the book of Ephesians. And so Paul does what any of us should do when we come to the end of our own resources. Paul prays. Verses 14 and following are Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. They are Paul's prayer also for us as God's. People and this prayer of Paul's shows us our needs. it shows us our true needs, and it shows us that we have three needs and the first need that we have, if we diverse group of sinners are going to be a family together, is we need strength. We see that in verses sixteen Through the first half of verse 17, Paul says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We need strength from outside of ourselves if we are to be God's family. And that strength from outside ourselves comes... In the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit strengthens us by uniting us to Christ. And we've talked about union with Christ over the last few weeks together. But again, what it means is that what is true of Jesus becomes true of us. All of the benefits, all of the blessings of what Jesus has done for sinners come to us because of the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ and applies. The benefits of salvation to us. So, this strength from outside of ourselves comes as the Holy Spirit uh, unites us to Christ. And all of this is done, Paul says, according to the riches of his glory. And that is a phrase that Paul uses throughout his letters the riches of God's glory. And they always refer to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So he's saying, I want you to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in accordance with what Christ has done for you. And that you would be strengthened, Paul says, in your inner being. In other words, what Paul is saying is, we need strength, not just sort of outside of us, but we need strength to be transformed from the inside out. And that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit transforms our hearts. And that's why you see the result of this, you see in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is uniting us to Christ such that we can say Christ dwells within us. And it's important here to note that Paul is not describing us gaining something we currently lack but rather learning to walk and to live in light of something that is already true of us. Christ has dwelt within us by the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul is praying here is that we would have lives and hearts characterized by the reality of Christ's presence within us. Have you ever noticed how spouses start to look alike as they age? Maybe you haven't noticed this. Andrea Reese is like, no. <laughs> Not going to happen. Well, sorry, Eric, but um, I, I think, okay, maybe people start to look like they're pets. Maybe that's, maybe that's more, less threatening. No, all that's worse. I'm, I'm, tough to read the room. Just stop talking, Jen is saying. We're going to move on. The point here is that as we spend time indwelt by Christ, as the Spirit works on our hearts over the course of our lives, we come to look more and more like Christ. We come to be characterized more and more by what is true of us. Uh, Like, you know, perhaps spouses might look alike after they've lived together for a long time. Part of what Paul is showing us in this first need is that a healthy church... A gospel-constructed family is something God himself builds. That's the point. We need strength from outside of us because we can't build this family. God himself has to do that. Which means that having a healthy church is not ultimately up to us. It's not up to our strategies. It's not up to our resources. God is the one who provides all of the resources we need To be the family of God. Our first need is strength. Here's our second need knowledge. We need knowledge. You see that in verses 17, the second half of 17 and following. He says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So again, what Paul is saying there is that he wants us to be so anchored in the love of God for us that we would have strength to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, which is an amazing phrase we'll come back to in a second. And when that happens, we will be filled with the fullness of God, which I believe is Paul just describing Christian maturity. And so part of what Paul is telling us here is that Christians grow to maturity as we grasp the unconditional love of God for us in Christ. We have to understand God's love for us in Christ if we are to be the family of God. And that's why I think it's fascinating that verses 16 and 17 don't root this knowledge in the head... This isn't just intellectual knowledge, a sort of, I know that God loves me in Jesus, but he says that he wants us to be strengthened in our inner being, that Christ is dwelling in our hearts through faith. This knowledge that God wants us to have, this knowledge that Paul is praying we would have, is not just intellectual knowledge of Christ's love for us. This is knowledge that has been pushed down into our bones. Knowledge that makes its way into our hearts. And that our hearts would be changed and transformed by this knowledge. Part of what it means to say that this he wants us to know something that surpasses knowledge is that this is not just something we sort of get and then we're done with. This is a lifelong process of coming to understand the depth of God's love for us. In Christ. It is a love that surpasses knowledge because we will spend eternity trying to grasp its depths. Friends, this is a love that is profound and beautiful and deep. We will never fully comprehend it. So, how do we get this kind of knowledge? How do we get this deep knowledge of the gospel of Christ's love? For us, I think we get a hint in verse 18. Paul says that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. We understand the love of God in Christ with all the saints. That gets us to our third need. Our third need is each other. We need one another. One another is not optional in the Christian life. We need one another. And this is hard. Because what this means in part is that the difficulty of our life together in the church is actually The point. It's part of the point of life in the church. It's supposed to be hard. God could have left us to ourselves. He could have told us that the Christian life is fundamentally an individual pursuit and that the church just becomes then sort of an affinity group and if it's not really helpful, you can kind of disregard it. That certainly would have made the Christian life simpler and maybe even more pleasant, but God did not do that. He gave us one another. And he said, y'all are not optional. One commentator, a guy named D.A. Carson said, God is more interested in our holiness than our comfort. That is true of our life in the church. Friends, the church is a diverse group. sinners. All of us are selfish. All of us are self-centered. All of us are prone to hurt one another. And as we live together, we will sin against and wound one another. We might do that intentionally sometimes. We might do that unintentionally sometimes. We might do that maliciously, or we might do that thoughtlessly. But as we sin against one another... And as we are sinned against in the church, we are called to forgive one another and to seek forgiveness. And as this process of life together unfolds, we come to see ourselves and we come to see our sin more clearly. And as we do that, we come to understand the depth of God's love for us. Christ, Friends, as our understanding of our sin grows, our understanding of God's love in Christ grows. Because Jesus is only ever as big to us as we think our sin is. If I think I'm this sinful, that's how big Jesus is to me. If I think I'm this sinful, Jesus is this big to me. The difficulty of life in the church is the point because it exposes our sin, it exposes our need, and it demonstrates for us again and again what Christ has done on our behalf. I hesitate to use this example in a room full of computer engineers, Uh, so forgive me if I'm wrong. You can correct me after the service, and I will repent with sackcloth and ashes. I have heard it said about computer engineers Uh, that occasionally the software might do things you don't expect. Uh, And when it does things that you don't expect, there's a conversation that has to happen about whether this unexpected behavior is a feature or a bug. A feature is something that's like, hey, that was unexpected, but that actually makes things better. A bug is, oh, that makes things much, much worse. What Paul is saying here is that we have to acknowledge, I will hurt you in the church. You will hurt me in the church. Y'all will hurt one another in the church. You will have to deal with difficult people in the church. That might be our new mission statement. Welcome to Heritage, you will have to deal with difficult people. And what Paul is saying, friends, that is a feature, not a bug. Of life in the church. It is a feature, not a bug. I listened to this fascinating talk that a pastor gave at a conference uh, a few months ago uh, where he read snippets of emails uh, from a woman in his church over the course of his 20 year ministry in this church. And they started off, and she was his harshest critic. It was things like you need to find someone to mentor you on your hygiene. Uh, Stuff like that. Like, that's where it started. And it was amazing watching these emails change over the course of the ministry there. And by the time uh, this woman had come to the end of her life, the last email she sent was her saying how profoundly grateful she was to him for his ministry, for his patience, and how much she realized she needed the church. Friends, it was a beautiful picture of exactly what Paul is talking about here. We need the gospel to be the church, but we need the church to understand the depth of the gospel. We need the gospel to be the church, but we need the church to understand the full depth. Of the gospel, friends, these three needs, when they are met by God and His grace through His Spirit, they result in something profound, and mysterious, and beautiful. And Paul tells us that that thing in verse twenty-one is glory. They result in glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever. And ever, amen. Think of what Paul just said. He said, The church for eternity, forever and ever means forever and ever. For eternity, the church will bring glory to God the Father in the new heavens and the new earth. We will be about the business together of glorifying God for all of eternity. And this glory is to the one, Paul says in verse 20, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. This is the God who is at work in us. He is doing more than you expect. Let that shape your interactions with one another. Let that shape your interactions with difficult people around you. God can do more than you expect. Because he is building us together into a picture of his grace and his goodness. My favorite TV show uh, is The Office. I'm sure many of y'all have seen this. I read a, a, recently read an oral history of The Office. And it was just interviews with cast and crew and, and staff and people that worked on the, the show. And it was really fascinating But one of the things that the creators of The Office said sort of became a mantra for their production was everything that makes this show harder makes it better. Everything that makes it harder makes it better. And in the context of the show, that meant they didn't go build a soundstage that would be easy to shoot in. They shot in an office space so that it would feel cramped and they would have to take video shots through the blinds of the office and go around plants and and everything that made it harder lent to the feeling of authenticity and was what made the show actually better. Friends, what Paul is saying here this morning is that everything that makes life in the church more difficult ultimately makes it more glorious because of Jesus. Jesus. And so I leave you with a question. And the question is this. What would change about your life if you believed that difficulty in the church was one of the chief ways that God was working the gospel in to your heart? What would change about your life if you believed that difficulty in the church is one of the chief ways God is working the gospel into your heart. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are good and you are faithful. No one is more committed to your church than you are, for you purchased the church at the cost of the blood of your beloved Son. Father, we pray that you would make us people of hope, that you would make us gospel people. Lord, make us people who delight to forgive when we are sinned against and who seek forgiveness quickly when we sin against others. Make the gospel something we not only talk about as a church, but something we actually live together in our lives as a church. Lord, make us a family. Knit us together. Make us pictures of your grace and your goodness. Do this by your spirit, uniting us to you, uniting us to Christ. Grow us in the knowledge of Christ's love for us. And help us to fight towards one another in the church, even when it's difficult. Father, we pray even now as we come to the table, that you would do that work in us, that you would take this ordinary bread and this ordinary cup and by your spirit use them for an extraordinary purpose to knit us together into the body, even the family of Christ. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.